So here we go. We're going to continue this series on the subject of reset. And the reason why this is so vitally important is because we do, we get so distracted, we get so far removed from certain things in our lives that we almost have to do that where we step back and say, hey, wait a minute, why am I doing this? I, I, have, I get distracted easily, and I've, I've struggled with this myself. I've been doing some projects around my house. And my garage gets uh, just messed up from getting in and out of there, and things get out of order. And I found myself, I'll be working on a project. I'll go out to the garage. I'll look for a tool, and all of a sudden, I find myself hanging tools, organizing this, and then I go back in the house. I can't even remember why I went out there. I got so distracted, so disconnected from what I was doing that I got occupied with something else. And I think in life, that's easy for us to do. And I, I started this series on resetting and just getting back. We talked about family, about why God created the family and what it's for and what we should be doing as parents and kids and, and our, our objective. We talked about church, of how God called out the church, of being this movement. It wasn't a place. It wasn't a location. It was, it was a people with a drive and a mission we, we talked about our changing our, our resetting our perspective of end times and understanding what is going on around us and the fact that the Bible speaks so much of this. The disciples were with Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 3. And this is just a recap of what we were talking about last week. And they, they said, tell us, when shall these things be and what shall be the signs of thy coming and the end of the world? And you think about that word end. And I want to address that a little bit today of what, what the end is, the, 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 the closing of something. And, and he talks about this in and, and 2 Peter 3, 1 and 2, and we talked about this. He talked about, man, when it comes to these things, I'm asking you to stir up these things in your mind. He said that you might be mindful of these words. And I think it is so important that pastors, preachers, Christians take time in a message like this and say, let me bring these things back to your mind. Do you know why they're in the Bible? Do you know why God said these? Do you know why they're so important? You need to be mindful of these things. But going back to Matthew, when Jesus was talking, and he, he mentioned wars and rumors of wars and all these things that are happening. He said, but don't worry, it's not yet. He said, these things must come to pass for nations shall rise against nation, earthquakes. He said, these are the beginning of sorrows. And then he said in verse 12, and he said, because iniquity shall abound and the love of many shall wax cold. And I, I want to just bring that out of how we talked about what that verse was talking about, how it says we must live biblically in light of end times, of understanding sin, understanding what that means and the fact that sin is what corrupted the world and is bringing it to an end. It's, it, that's the disease that the world has. It's running its course. And it said iniquity shall abound literally and it, it affects us because we're in this world. We're born in sin. And then it's going to explode in this world. It's going to reach an age where it's going to multiply. And we explain what that looks like in our culture. But then it talked about us. And it, and it said in the love of many, the agape Christian love that we should have, it's going to grow cold. And I think the reality check for us living in that, because sin is abounding so much and it's around us, and we, we are so easily sucked into it. The Bible warned for Christians, he said, let me tell you what's going to happen to you guys. He said, you're just going to adapt. And all of a sudden, the church that should be rising up to preach the gospel and declare Jesus Christ and declare that there is an end, that is our job to say that there is an end. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's an ending point to this, and we've got to be mindful and aware of that. And he said, but let me tell you, there's, there's going to be a problem where the love of Christian, the passion the mindset, the zeal of Christians is just going to get 
apathetic. There's going to be a lot of the attitude of why do we do this? And what is even the point of church? And why should I have to do that? Why should I give, serve, love, do, care? Why? When it comes to righteousness, that's the same thing where a lot of Christians are going to be just like, I just don't care. And why does it matter? And I just want to have fun. And what's wrong with it? And he warns us of these things. I gave the illustration of Lot, of how he adapted the culture of Sodom. And God uses that as an illustration of Sodom in the last days and the destruction that would come. And Lot lost his family when he went in to say, hey, God's coming. Judgment is coming. I said, you're crazy. Get out of my face. And I think there's a true danger for us when we have this apathetic attitude and we're so sucked into the culture around us that we are not understanding that we're not in the darkness but in light to act like it. It's so easy to do. And I think even in this culture of things that we're looking at right now, we could be so wrapped up in the conspiracy theories and what's going on that we lose sight of the fact that we are to lift up Jesus and give hope and the fact that the end is near. Let me jump forward. He starts transitioning into the return of Jesus. And I know even for some of you, this concept is is new and you've heard of it and you just say it's weird. But let me explain this. He says in verse 36 of Matthew 24, he says, But of that day and the hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Then he goes back, he gives this illustration, But as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. From the days, from those days, uh, were before the flood and were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, that, that ending period. And they knew not until the flood came and took them away, all away. Also shall the son, uh, coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall be two in the field and one shall be taken and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill and one shall be taken and the other left. And he says in verse 42, watch. Watch, therefore, for you know not the hour that, that the Lord doth come. Now, I'm going to introduce this concept to, to some of you and remind you and stir you up for the others that, that he talks about the end and he gives all these warnings and sign and the apathy and Christians and sin abounding and all these things. And then he just says, hey, let me, let me tell you this. God is coming back. That there is an end, and at the end is the rapture or the, the, the calling away of God's people out of this earth. And he's speaking of this, and listen to this description. He says, there will be two people in a field, and he said, all of a sudden, like that, one will be taken and the other one will be left. Two people will be grounding or working. Two people will be at Walmart. Two people will be working at the factory, whatever. And he says, one will be there, and then the other one will be gone. And I'm going to be honest, when we view this from our perspective, it's just weird. If we're being honest, it's just odd. If we're to take this from even the biblical perspective of, of the heavenly view of this day of what happens. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, then which we are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds. That's, that's the heavenly perspective. When God says, I'm done and I'm calling you home, He says, we're going to be caught up with him, absent, all of a sudden, people missing from there, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. This part of our life is over forever. Caught up to meet with them. And I'll tell you, we we read something like this, and it's almost like weird. And, And I know I said that, but I'm telling you, it's almost like Christians stay away from it. It's like, I don't want to tell my friends about that. That's just weird. 
I don't want to try that conversation, you know, having coffee with a friend and say, well, let me tell you about the rapture. What's the rapture? Well, one day we're just all going to disappear. It's, it's going to sound like a sci-fi movie. It's going to sound like something from the Twilight Zone, like an alien encounter that all of a sudden we're here and we're snatched away and all these people are missing and we've seen movies like that to where all of a sudden it's just so weird that I don't even want to talk about it. And I think of John 14, 3, when Jesus said, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. He said that. I will come again and receive you unto myself. For where I am there, you may be also. And, and would some of us say, well, I believe that. But I'll tell you, can I tell you, and it, this is talking about I will come again. Remember when he promised that he would come the first time that we read that in the Bible and we rejoice, we celebrate it. I mean, think about it. It's Christmas. We, we love that. We, we go out, Christ the Savior is born, and on this day, and joy to the world, and all these things we celebrate. Go back in history to when they were reading verses awaiting the coming of Jesus. It wasn't all that. It was the opposite. They, they didn't believe it. They weren't mindful. They weren't looking. They weren't anticipating. Even when they said, we saw his star, they were like, all right, go find it. People weren't flocking out to see them. People weren't believing it. When Jesus came as a baby, lady later came and said, I'm the son of God to take away the sins of the world. They crucified him for. And then we sit around today and look at that and say, man, if we were there, I would have been there. I would have wanted worship. I would have believed. And God says, I'm going to come back. Let me tell your generation. Let me tell the people of 2020, I'm coming back. What's our attitude or perspective I, I think we're so much like them where it's like, I don't know, that sounds weird. I don't believe it. How do you even know? I've seen this before. I've heard this before. And we're so apprehensive or ap- ap- apathetic when it comes to this. They missed out on it. And I think about the Bible even says for our generation or for that, that he was talking about in that day, he said, they're just going to grow cold with this. You talk about the rapture. It's like, oh, whatever. Okay. Nobody's going to be excited. There's not going to be this spirit of uh, 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 awaiting it. It's going to be this thing that I just want to ignore it. I don't want to hear about it. It's not what I want to talk about. And you say, why is this such a strange way to end the world? Why, Why is the end where God takes out the believers? Why is this? And I think I need to answer some questions. I think we need to reset our minds to understand the end times and more specifically the understanding of the rapture of what God says. So I want to answer three vital questions concerning the end. Let's start with this one. Why does God bring things to an end begin with? And if you think about it is that the rapture is based on things coming to an end and God takes us away. But the question is, why does God even do that? And I, I started thinking about this from the very beginning of creation, from the very beginning of everything God created everything for, for a reason, to glorify God. He created the world and animals and plants and planets and everything for the glory of God. Everything. The Bible talks about how even the rocks, if we don't praise them, the rocks are going to cry out. And how Christians were created for fellowship with God. Everything was created for a purpose of worship and glorifying and pointing to Jesus Christ. Pointing to the God that is Elohim, the creator of everything. To where for creation, we rise up in the morning and we see the sun rise and we sit there and say, what an awesome God we serve. And we see a baby born and we sit there and say, wow, what an amazing God that brought all this in. And the Bible says even in Colossians for one, uh, chapter 1, verse 16, 
For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Do you understand everything in this world from humankind to creation, everything was created by him and for him. In Revelation, when it talks about us standing before God, it reiterates this. It says, For thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were, they are and were created. It's a purpose. From the very beginning of in Genesis 1, creation of everything and he said it is good and God stood back and said it was good and it was created for the glory of God everything but I think here's the reason one of the reasons why God brings things to an end because they cease to accomplish their purpose or they cease to accomplish bringing glory to God I started thinking about we have two illustrations in Matthew and Luke that illustrate that the end of things one of them is in Genesis 6 5 and in the are talking about uh, God taking Noah, God using the illustration of Noah. And it says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And God referenced that, or Jesus referenced that in the writings of when he was talking in Matthew. He said, Let me tell you about them. He said, There was come a generation or a time that everything about them had nothing to do with the glory of God, nothing to do with the righteousness, nothing to do with bringing praise to God. It had, where in their minds, in their thoughts, in their motives, in their purpose, was evil continually. They had lost their purpose of glorifying God. Later, when we talk about Lot, we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, we talk about the same thing that's also an illustration of end times. The Bible says about Sodom and Gomorrah, that city that was destroyed. He said, the Lord said, because of the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is very grievous. It's the same thing, both things. He says, all it is is sin. There is no glory. There is no pleasure. There is no focus. It's the theme of society during that time was completely inward. I'm going to do what I want. I want to make it about myself. There's no longer about going to church. It's no longer about praising God. It's no longer about righteousness. No longer do people look at a baby and say, wow, what a wonderful God we serve. They rather look at it and say, what a, what a blob of flesh and where, where'd they come from? And it's, it's not a human life and it doesn't matter. We devalue the things of God. We mix all these different things that we have of even being confused with the basics of life. And we turn the glory of God into the glory of man. And we go from righteousness to sin. And in both stories, when it came to that, God said, I'm done with that. It no longer brings me glory. They'd rather serve themselves and do what's right in their own eyes rather than glorifying God. The Bible says that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's all there was. So why does God bring things to an end? Because they cease to create or uh, do the purpose that they were created. And that's to bring glory to God. And when society as a whole and when life as a whole stops bringing glory to God, there's no purpose for it. Here's the second thing. It's not just because it ceases to bring glory to God, but it's because God will judge sin. He's from the very beginning of sin coming in the world. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. There's going to be judgment on sin. There's a judgment day. There's an end And the Bible talks about consequences and sin has consequences and this world is sick. It has a disease. It's dying. Just like anything else, when it's infected, it's slowly decaying. It's dying. And the Bible says and explains to us that this curse has an end, has a deadline, has an expiration to it. We don't know what it is. 
this world as a whole, society, sin, everything, it's coming to an end. And, and it's, the, the Bible says and how even the cry of Sodom was great, it was enough. And God said because of the cry it was grievous, it was heavy on God. God said enough. And God says, I'm going to bring sin to a point where it's enough, where God says, I can't take it anymore. That's enough. And God deals with it. It will come to an end. After it runs its course, there's judgment to follow. You've got to understand that God is a loving God, but God is a God of judgment. God says very clearly that he will judge sin. It's coming to an end. You say, why is that? When things cease to bring glory to God, God says enough. When things cease to, 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 and, and, and sin takes it and runs its course, just like I've been there when people have passed on in their life before, it runs its course and you see come to an end and say, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. It's over. There's coming a time when the Bible even describes this as when will the end come? And the Bible describes these things as what the end is. Here's question two. Why will the rapture even happen? He say, that was such a, a weird thing. I understand that. But why is God doing that in that way? And the Bible describes in Matthew 24, verse 40, about how there's going to be two people in the field and then one's taken. Two people working, one's taken. Why? That is such a weird thing. The rapture means to be snatched away or taken away. And we get this, uh, we don't have this word in scripture, but it means that God takes us away. It's, it's that to be caught up together. But I think we need to view this from the right way. See, the two examples that are given in Luke and Matthew when Jesus was talking about the end or the things coming to an end, he, both of them have one thing in common. Number one, that judgment is coming. The judgment was going to bring it to the end. Fire from heaven for Sodom and the, and the rains coming down and flooding the earth when, in the days of Norm. Both of these things. But let me show you something that is true in both of them. Both of them have a rescue story. Both of them have an escape. Both of them show the mercy of God. Both of them had it where God brings in with Sodom and Gomorrah, brings in the messengers and says, God's going to destroy the city, waiting for those that respond. You have the other side where you have nowhere, where God builds an ark and makes a way an escape. And he says, there's one door. And if you go through the door, you'll be saved. Both of them have that. The ark and the messengers of God show the mercy of God. And you say, why is God even doing this in such a way? Because this judgment's coming. God's sending this message out to us of what is to come. And you say, why the rapture? I thought of it like this. When I was in college, when I first went off to Pensacola Christian College, it was a cool thing for me. It was in 1995, and they had this brand new dorm that they just opened. And for anybody that's ever been there, it was Young Tower. Back when I went there, I was the first one to move into this college dorm, which just has so many perks to it, and some that are not so great. One of them was the fact that it had a brand new fire alarm system installed inside the college. And I, I remember that the, one of the first nights and the first weeks that we were there, we're sleeping in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden we heard the alarms going off. And I mean, they were loud. We had no idea if it was false or that there was issues or whatever. So we all jumped out of bed. We ran outside. Everybody's standing outside in their pajamas and robes and standing around out there. And we're looking there thinking that something happened or something came and destroyed or a fire happened or whatever. And, and I remember the whole thing was to evacuate them for, the, for the, the, the safety of them because destruction was, could be coming. And I think about that when it comes to us of what God is doing with us. God knows this and God has an evacuation plan to take those away from harm for those that he loves, only to those that respond. And so we can look at raptures just snatching away or people coming up missing. But look at it a different way, that God knows what is to come. 
And God has a rescue plan. He always has. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why there's salvation. That's why I know that sin's going to be judged and that the fact that God is the righteous judge and he's going to pour out judgment on this earth. And before that happens, God had a plan and he gives it to us and he says, you shall be saved from the wrath to come. And God pulls us out. It's, it's an evacuation plan for us to save us from what is to come. The Bible says in Romans 5, 9, it says much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath to come. Not in what I've done and not what I've earned. It's simply because God loves me and God saves us. You say, what do I need to know about the end? You need to understand that there is an end. You need to understand that there is a rapture, that God has an evacuation plan for those that trust him, that listen to the alarm and say, I trust you and I'm going to get out But here's the third thing. Question number three, what do you need to know before Jesus comes back? And I think that's what Jesus was trying to emphasize through the course of this. He was was pleading with them. He was teaching them. He was pouring his heart out to them about what is to come. And he spells it out so clear. Let me give you the first one. Our job is to watch. When he's saying this in Matthew 25, 13, he says, watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man comes. And he gave this clear instructions to Christians. He said, to those that will listen, to hear the alarm, he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to watch. The word watch literally means just to, to stay awake or to be vigilant, to have an awareness of what's going on. And we read those other passages that have the same thing. He said, I'm coming back. You don't know when. But he said, this is what I do want you to know. And this is what I do want you to do. I simply want you to watch. It's weird that tomorrow is Memorial Day. And it was weird. We were talking and I was talking to Jenny and I was talking to different people of the church and things like that. And somebody brought it up and said, well, Monday's Memorial Day. And we were all like standing in shock going, what? what?" Through, through this whole COVID-19 and the things and we were so distracted that we weren't even thinking about that. I didn't even see it on the calendar because normally we're planning, we're doing things for the church service. We have that day off. We, we have friends over, we cook out, we do all these different things that are tradition that people do. But we weren't doing these things. It's caught unaware. Our mind wasn't focused on them. We didn't even draw our attention to it. And the Bible pleads with us as Christians. He said, this is what I need you to do. I need you to watch. I I need you to pay attention. I need you to be aware. I need preachers to teach. I need parents to teach. I need Christians to have conversations. I need your eyes to be open. I need you to view them through biblical eyes. I need you to watch. I need you to be vigilant, not paranoid, not scared, but awake and alert. And I, I challenge us as a church, I challenge anybody that's watching this to have the mindset that God said all of this to us to watch, to be aware, to be alert, to know. Here's the second thing, and I say this about the end times, that Satan will deceive you. The one thing we have this description of, of Satan in the garden, he, he lied to Eve, he, he, she fell for the lie, she was totally deceived, and she says in Genesis 3.13, the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat, he tricked me. I, I, I didn't see it coming, I didn't understand, I didn't fully understand what was going on. Before long, I stepped into something that I didn't, I didn't get, and she was aware, but she wasn't paying attention. The Bible says at the end of time, describes Satan again in Revelation chapter 20, verse 2, as the old serpent. Says the old serpent. Let me tell you about the old serpent. And he says in verse 10 of Revelation 20, he says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. He is subtle. He manipulates the truth. 
And I think he's working overboard right now in doing this in our culture. And Satan's working in a big way to deceive or to, with the, the, that description of that is to destroy people from the truth. I think for Christians, it's the idea that God has so much about this. And yet, when you talk to most of us, we don't even bring it up. We're not even focused on that. We're not acting in the urgency. And I think even for me as a pastor, am I living as a pastor that's reflecting that in these days? As a parent, the idea that I'm watching and being away, uh, awake and alert, but at the same time that I understand that Satan can deceive us and trick us and distract us in such a way that we're not paying attention. And I say that as a warning to anybody that's watching this right now for the idea to say, I don't believe it. It's not a big deal. Doesn't make sense to me that Satan is a liar and he'll do anything to distract you from the reality of what is to come. He's a deceiver. It's what he does. He works on our mindset. Here's, here's the third thing that the Bible says that we should know about this. His fools will mock. And he says in, in 2 Peter 3 verse 3, he says, knowing this, that there shall come in the last days. And we see that the end that he talks about scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where's the promise of his coming? In the world, when you talk about the rapture, or the coming of Christ or the things coming to an end, it's a total joke to them. If we're not careful, we treat it even as believers as a joke. It's not convicting. It's not moving us. When we talk about God or church or rapture or any of these things, it's, there's, there's no urgency in our hearts. We almost laugh it off. We sit there and talk about the day that we're all going to be called up. And all of a sudden, we, may, we, we have the mindset that it's just another fairy tale. The Bible warns us in, in Timothy, and we have so much that the Bible tells us about these things. And it says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times thou shalt depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and the doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. See, this is what he does. He just calluses our minds. I, mean, I, I, I want to wake us up to this re reality that sometimes in our minds, we're so callous to it that it does nothing to us. I remember when I was a kid and I watched a movie and there was these old movies that were made about the coming of Christ. And I remember walking out of there and it woke me up so much that I was literally looking at everything and asking questions and talking to people. Time goes by and all of a sudden we don't even think about it. We become so callous. I wonder if our generation that could be the last generation is the most callous generation. That there, there, there is nothing that comes to our mind that stirs us up with this. Think about everything when it comes to spiritual warfare, with spiritual warfare and demons, when it comes to hell, when it comes to judgment and all these other things. When we, when we read the verses in Scripture where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, when it talks about the rich man going to hell and, and he lift up his eyes being in torment, does that, does that do anything to us? Or have we adapted to these things so much that we've become calloused to where we're approaching these things, but it doesn't stir us up? And it's amazing how our culture, our day and age, will sit there and watch these things about demonic activity and the work of Satan and will pull out popcorn and watch these things in the movie like it's just entertainment. Say, that wasn't scary. Satan might turn this into a joke, but I tell you, there'll be nobody laughing in hell and there'll be nobody laughing when they're left behind because they didn't take this serious. But let me give you this as well. The Bible says, but in that day and hour knoweth no man not the angels in heaven, but my Father only. And the Bible makes it very clear about the coming of Christ that it will be unexpected. 
that nobody knows the day nor the hour. Nobody knows. And, and, I, and I know when we think of this and we think of Noah and, and what was described there, and it says in verse 39, they knew not until the flood came and took them away. And so shall the coming of man be. He put it this way. He said, it wasn't until it was too late that a lot of them got it. See, th- there is no way for you to have a second chance when it comes to this. You say, why are you bringing this out like this? Because of the fact is right now, if we're living and breathing and we have the word of God and we have the warnings, there is a chance. There's hope. And the thing that was going to be a great shock on that day, just like they, them, where, where the, Noah was brought into the boat and the floods began to came and they were like, maybe he was right. And that great awakening that they have that, okay, we get it now. And I've started thinking about if you were in that boat on that day, you begin to hear the people being on the side of the boat saying, we get it, we get it, we're sorry, we're sorry, I, I get it, I, I believe you now, but it's too late. It's too late. And there's absolutely nothing you can do. And, and I think we hear these things, we almost step back and say, I've heard that my entire life. But Jesus said in that passage, he said, but this generation, this generation that I'm talking about, it's going to happen. It's going to transpire to them after a hundred years of them building the ark and the warning signs and nobody adhered to it. Then there was a great shock. There's going to be a great reality that happens on that day. A great reality to say I was wrong. I ignored it. I laughed. I slept in church. I ignored the warnings. I didn't care. Here's the last thing I'll give you that you need to know. And that is you've been warned. I, I think during COVID-19, there's been a lot of tragedy and a lot of bad things. But I do believe for the fact that this is being recorded right now, not that I'm anything great, not that I'm anything special. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just somebody that found the truth in the word of God and God delivered me. And I know that when the time comes that I will be evacuated, I will be taken out because I've been saved by Jesus Christ from the wrath to come. But I also know that there's so many that sit there and say, I, I don't take this serious, or I don't understand that, or I don't believe that. I, I can tell you that there will be, on that day, the Bible says that every knee shall bow. Everybody will stand in judgment. There will be no second chances. Remember the fact, because God loves you, and you say, why isn't God coming back already? Why is he waiting? Why are all these things happening? Everything that happens around us in this world is God saying, I love you, and I'm giving you a chance. I love you, I'm giving you a chance. I love you, there's mercy, and I could come back, but I'm giving you a chance. I'm giving you a chance. But I think just like the days of Noah where so many of them just blew it off and ignore it and they walked past that boat and they didn't adhere to it whatsoever. But that doesn't have to be us. The Bible says that the Lord is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, God has not come back yet because he's waiting for those that will listen to the warning to those that will trust him, to those that understand that there's an end and there's a judgment coming, but God made a promise that he would take those home, that he would rescue, that he would rapture those out that would believe in him. And some of you might be sitting there shaking your head saying, this is just crazy. This guy is crazy. But let me tell you, as sure as God promised that he would come back the first time as a baby in a manger, as sure as he's promised that he would come back again. When I was a kid, there was a game that we loved to play. I, I don't know how popular this is today, but when I was a kid, there was a game that we would do, and it would be hide and seek. 
And the idea is you had 60 seconds and they would count down and all of a sudden they would come looking for you and right before they, ye- they came, they would yell out, ready or not, here I come. And I started thinking about it. God doesn't cry out to us, ready or not, here I come. But I know the Bible says in Matthew 24, verse 44, at the end of all this, he said, therefore be also ready for such an hour as you think not the Son of Man come. God just says the same thing. You don't have the countdown, but I'm going to warn you this. I'm coming back, ready or not. And I just ask you the question, are you ready? Because judgment's coming for our sins. But God had a plan. He has an evacuation plan. He has a rescue plan. And we don't have to suffer the wrath to come. Because God says for any that will listen to the alarm, for any that will cry out to him as the Messiah, the, the, the giver of life, the giver of hope, for anyone that will confess him and accept him has that salvation. I know this is not the type of message that we hear a lot, but I can tell you this is reality. It's truth and it's coming. When God comes back, the question is, and I ask you directly, will you be ready? And if you're not, will you get ready today? And I just challenge you to pray right now. For those that are listening and saying, I've never heard this before, I didn't know. I can tell you that this is all from the Bible and it's true and it's what God has promised. It's just a reality of accepting it. If God convicts you, and that's what God does through the word of God, as we talk about these things, God reaches into your heart and minds and he tells you, he wants you to know, he wants you to be reminded, will you accept it? And I challenge you to pray right now and ask God, forgive me of my sins. God, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you are the only way. I understand that I'm a sinner and I'm guilty. My sin is what leaves me condemned. But I ask you, God, to come into my life and set me free and forgive me. And God made a promise that whoever does this, that, that they will be saved. If you pray right now and ask God to come into your life, he made a promise that he would save you. Because one day he's coming back. The question is, will you be ready? Let's pray. God, as we close this out, Lord, I know that you sat on that day to give that message of understanding so that we would have the warning, we would have the truth, we would not be taken back. We would not be confused. But Lord, I pray, Lord, for those that are listening right now, that they will take this to heart, that they'll receive what you said, that they'll adhere to the promises of you. And Lord, I know that you've given us hope, but Lord, we have to receive it. We have to respond to the warnings that you've given us and receive you as our personal savior. Lord, help us, Lord, in these days as we see the things going on around us to be awake and to be watching as Christians Because you want us, Lord, to be able to receive all the blessings and hope that you've given us. Thank you for your truth. We pray this in your name. Amen.